Amen. Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to see you. Uh, this is a, a happy anniversary day. Well, it's an anniversary day. I don't know how happy it is. Um, one year ago today was our first Sunday online only. First day of this new word in our vocabulary, pandemic. We used to think that was an old-fashioned word, and it became quite current. And then for 25 out of 52 weeks, we worshipped online only. And so when I say happy anniversary, I kind of just mean anniversary. <laughs> Here we are. And what happened a year ago is is many of us instantly transitioned into a whole different mode of thinking and operating. We went into what we call survival mode. And some would say, no, I wasn't in survival mode. There's a whole lot that went really well and, and things went, went great. Maybe for you, you just had pockets throughout the last 52 weeks of seasons of survival mode. And some of you would say, no, it's been a nonstop year. It's been 12 solid months of survival mode. But here's the deal. I just believe that God wants more for his people than just making it, limping along. I believe what he has designed for the human experience is that of flourishing. That's the series that we're going to kick off this morning. And, and for the next three weeks leading up to Easter, yes, Easter is in three weeks. It, it comes early this year. For these three weeks, we're, we're going to talk about this idea of what I believe God desires for you, and that is that you would flourish. And that was kind of our theme around Advent. Uh, our series on Advent was about peace, and it was about shalom. But we said peace uh, in the idea of shalom. It's more than just peace in our relationships or world peace or whatever. It's it's really the idea of full human flourishing. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit is bringing me back to this idea again, because here's the deal. I've not seen a whole lot of flourishing going on in the last 12 months. In the conversations I've had with people, most people have not said, man, my marriage has just flourished in the last 12 months. My parenting skills have flourished with remote learning. Uh, things have flourished at my business or, or in my career plans or, or in my stock portfolios. And, and there's people who've had a lot of positive things to say, but most people wouldn't describe the last 12 months as flourishing. And yet I believe that the plan of God is still that his people would flourish. And so what we're going to talk about for the next three weeks is, is three paths or three experiences of flourishing. And that is uh, the care of our souls, which is what we'll discuss this morning. Connection with our Savior, Lord willing, is what we'll discuss next week. The idea of intimacy with God. And then we're going to talk about confession of sin on the third week, on Palm Sunday. The idea of a clear conscience with God, of full acceptance uh, with, with God. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the care of our souls. And, and I would start by saying this. I want to tell you, you have a soul. And it's the, the truest you there is. It's the youest you is your soul. It's the innermost version of you. As a matter of fact, everything that you experience in life, I believe, is, is an outworking of your soul. All the tangible stuff, it comes from the health or lack thereof of our souls. It's what inside of us that makes us who we really are. So in a family with three boys in our house, I don't know that I need to tell you that there are 
a whole lot of bodily noises that take place in our home on a daily basis. Often at the dinner table, much to Maurice's complete heartbreak, she believes she's a failure as a mother because there's at least one earth-shattering belch every meal. And then she gets mad at me because if it's a good one, I giggle. I'm just telling you, I've not reached the point of maturity that a good belch doesn't bring out a giggle. Sorry. So knowing that I was going to talk about the soul this week, um, last week I heard one of my sons starting to sing a song by Elevation Worship called Echo. And we're driving down the road, and one of my sons starts saying, I can feel it in my soul. And I'm like, oh, they're singing about their soul. Praise Jesus. I'm winning it as a spiritually minded dad. But what this boy did was, there's an echo in my soul. (laughs) That was the echo in my truck. Now, (laughs) if you're a guest today, Welcome to Temple. We're glad you're here. It's just how we roll, man. <laughs> so when I say that that your soul is what's inside of you and it's what works its way out of you, that is not what I meant. What I want us to do this morning is I want us to go back to the the origin story of the human soul. We're going to go all the way back to the OG, not the original gangster, the original garden. <laughs> And we're going to look at the condition of the human soul in its infancy. And so I encourage you, please, to grab your Bible or tablet or phone or whatever it is you use to follow along. And uh, we're going to invite you to join with us in our tradition here where we hold our Bibles up in the air, say a creed and a prayer together before we dive in. And so even if you're worshiping online with us, still say this with us. It helps connect us uh, in this reality, even though we're not physically in the same space. So let's hold up our Bibles and let's declare this with some passion this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Please turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to focus in on day six of creation when you and I uh, had our beginning as the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're, we're going to the, the kind of zeroing in on the creation of humankind in Genesis chapter two. And it's really important before we, we read through the text this morning to remember that this is before there was such a thing as sin on planet Earth. This is before there was any brokenness. This is before the fall. This is before there was any corruption. This is a glimpse of humanity at its best. This is a glimpse of flourishing with with no brokenness to impede it or to pollute it. This is the best uh, glimpse we have of the human experience. And we're going to look at four uh, descriptions of, of how this flourishing manifests itself. And they all start with the same letter. And i got to give credit to Judah Smith for that. Uh, these four R's came from uh, one of his books, and it was so good that I was like, I'm using that just as it is. And so they say never preach another guy's sermons, but this was too good. I couldn't improve on it. So uh, while the content might be from my heart this morning, shout out to Judah. Thanks for the four R's. Okay, so verse number 7 in Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to dive in here. 
with, I feel really bad about how quick we're going to go over this verse because this is literally our, our beginning right here. It says this, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground. But our story hadn't really even begun yet until this happened. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. Or maybe your translation says a living being. Or maybe your translation says a living creature. Now, the ESV uses the word creature, which is a pretty poor rendering there. Being is a little better. The, the best word there is that's when our souls came alive. It's through the breath of God. That's where this begins. So we're going to look at the, the condition in which this soul will flourish. Verses 8 and 9. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden. If you've been in church since you were young, I wonder if, like me, you have a picture of the Garden of Eden. Anybody have a picture of the Garden of Eden in their head, right? Maybe it was informed by flannel graph <laughs> or veggie tales. I don't know. Um, I have a picture in my mind. And here's the thing about all of our pictures. I think they all fall really short of how glorious that garden was. I can't wait until it gets its extreme makeover God edition when he recreates the garden. Whew, we just sang about it. Like I, I can't wait to see his face, and then I can't wait to see what he does when he recreates that moment. So that's, that, that's what he does. Verse, verse 8, he planted a garden in the east. And there he put the man, this this dude with a soul, <laughs> whom he had formed. Verse 9, out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree. And look at these two descriptions of the tree. Every tree that is pleasant to the eye or pleasant to the sight. And every tree that is good for food. And here's the point we're going to draw out here. Here's our first R this morning, and that is our souls flourish in rest. God created this, this moment and this surrounding where Adam went, oh, those trees look cool, and oh, wow, there's good food. Not just food, it was good food, right? Adam... His first role in creation was to stop and enjoy the scenery and enjoy a good meal. That idea of Sabbathing, if we use it as a verb, that idea that the first meal ever taken was Shabbat, that idea that this is day six of creation and what is day seven, God rested, P.S., and so did we. That the first thing that, that the human experience was centered on is slow down enough to breathe and enjoy the God who gives you breath. And I'm willing to confess, I'm not good at noticing the trees. I tend to walk right past a beautiful tree. And sometimes I got somebody like Neil with me who's like, look at that amazing tree. He's really into trees. I thought it was the weirdest thing. Until I stopped and noticed a couple, I'm like, that's an amazing tree. And I think about, <laughs> it's the one time y'all will ever hear me say into a microphone, Neil was right about anything. 
literally this this beautiful moment god's i believe telling adam don't miss the scenery slow down and be present i've shared with you before uh, college professor who told me you can learn everything we teach in these classes you can experience every volunteer opportunity we provide to you doug but here's the deal if you don't learn how to be where you are you're never going to experience what god has for you and i think as as a society we're just not good at being where we are we're always somewhere else we're in such a hurry and the fact is we we notice that this thing called life won't help us rest it won't drift towards shalom. It won't drift towards wholeness in our souls. It will drift towards chaos and, and busyness and, and being rushed and being late to everything, but never being anywhere important. And, and the fact is, I, I want to say this. I want to I talk like an old man for a minute because I kind of feel like an old man today. I, I came here 12 years ago. I was 31 years old with two little kids. And I'm standing before you this morning with my firstborn about to be a 12th grader. And so I want to say to every young family in the room with young kids, don't miss the moments. They go by faster than you could ever dream. Don't be in such a hurry that you miss the moment. In the next couple of weeks, we got three mamas fixing to bring COVID babies into the world. Listen, it's a pandemic. What are we supposed to do? Um, And we're about eight months away from a bunch of snowpocalypse babies. But that's up to you. Whatever you have to do, stay warm. Listen. So if you're a guest today. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, that's right. My mom joined last week. Hey, mom. That got weird. To all of you with young little babies. And with young little toddlers, I'm just telling you, listen, don't be in such a hurry that you miss the moment. But that's not just a parenting principle. That's a spiritual principle. That he wants us to slow down enough to notice a tree and to eat a good meal, which used to be a spiritual discipline that was practiced by the followers of God for thousands of years. We had a day a week where we slowed down and caught our breath and we broke bread together and we came together and worshiped God. We are not good as a society at resting. And here's why. I think we think too much of ourselves. I, I want to share this principle with you. I believe that rest is a symptom of strong faith. Rest is a symptom of strong faith. It's a overflow. It's a byproduct. Because if I trust that God is God and that he's good and that he's at work on my behalf, then I can take a nap. I can take a day off. It's not all up to me. It's not all on me. If my faith is strong in who God is and in what he's doing, then I can breathe. I can rest. I can trust that he's at work, which is the heart of Psalm 127, which says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and, and go to rest late, 
eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, Yahweh, gives his beloved sleep. When we trust that he's building the house, when we trust that he's watching over the city, when we trust that he loves our kids more than us, when he, when we trust that our career is in his hands more than in our own, he gives us in that trusting rest. If we hope to have flourishing souls, we've got to slow down enough to notice the trees and to break some bread. To slow down and worship by trusting him. Quickly skip down to verse number 15. The text talks a little bit more about describing the, the garden and the rivers. Verse 15 says this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Our souls don't just flourish in rest. Our souls flourish in responsibility. We have a job to do that we've been tasked by God and placed by God that no one else has been called to do. And I believe again that this is, this is tied to faith. So the job that I have in front of me actually isn't my job. I believe God has directed my steps. He's placed me where he wants me to be. And the place that I show up tomorrow morning and clock in is designed by God for me. And so I'm, I'm, if my soul is going to flourish, I can't find my flourishing in my job. I find my flourishing in the God who's placed me in that job. And so work now isn't just the nine to five, do your thing, whatever, go home as quick as you can, hope that the power goes out again, snow days again, and whatever. We're, we're no longer surviving. We're going into work saying, this is how I will worship God today. So the Apostle Paul said to the church in, in Colossians 3.23, uh, to the Colossian church, Paul says, whatever you do, work with all your heart as to the Lord and not to man. You don't work for the man. <laughs> and you don't work for yourself. When we don't work to grow our career, to get more money, when the goal of work isn't primarily to even provide for our family, when our goal at work is not to make our boss happy, when our goal at work is to work with all our heart for the glory of God, man, then, then more than likely you're going to be able to provide for your family. You're going to find some fulfillment in that, and your boss is probably going to be happy. If you're actually working with all your heart and your boss isn't happy, hang tight. God's going to remove him or remove you and put you in a different place. Because I believe he is glorified when we work with all our hearts. There's a, there's a calling that you have that nobody else has. Work is not a part of the fall. Do you know what I mean when I say that? that? Going to work is not a consequence of sin entering the world. When we sinned, work just became lousy. Adam didn't fall and then God said, now you got to work. He was working before he fell. Now he sweats when he works. That's the difference. Like before the fall... Adam never said to a zebra, Mondays, am I right? He just worked. After the fall, it became the grind and, oh man, 
So no longer do we find fulfillment in that work. We've got to find our identity and our fulfillment and our flourishing somewhere else. Namely, in the God who's placed us in that place. That's when we walk in our calling. And that is when we're on a path towards flourishing. Quickly moving on, next two verses. Verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. I believe God has designed us not to survive, but to flourish and our souls flourish in rest. Our souls flourish in responsibility and our souls flourish in restraint. In saying no to the things that will harm us and saying yes to the things that will give us life. Isn't it just like God that he gave permission before he gave restriction? It's just like our God of grace to say, you can eat of every tree. Just don't eat of that one. And then he even told us why, which shows that he's a better parent than me. He didn't say because I said so. <laughs> he said, because if you eat of this, it will kill you. That's a pretty compelling motivation, right? And, and he says, not that restraint first, he gives permission first. All of this is better for you. According to the Botanical Gardens Conservation International, that's apparently a thing. I looked it up. According to them, they say there are 60,000 and 65 species of trees. 60,000 and 65. Did they all exist in the garden? I don't know. That seems like a lot of trees in one garden. But I'm guessing there was more than a couple. <laughs> So literally, like, what were the chances of us failing at humanity? Only one in 60,065. And yep, we nailed it. <laughs> like, we had pretty good odds. And literally, I believe that's, that's the heart of God is I've got what's good for you. Trust me in that and say no to the things that will harm you. And so this, this idea of religion, God's this God of no, don't. No, he's a God who desires flourishing for us and he knows what's best for us. And the fact is this, everything our heart wants is not necessarily what's best for our souls. And our designer knows that. Our creator knows that. And so he's saying, don't be ruled by, governed by, directed by every whim and desire that you have. Be governed by, be directed by what I say is best for you. And if we're going to experience human flourishing, it's going to demand that we say no to some harmful things. And say yes to a better way. And that sounds really Un-American. Say no to a want? What are we, third world? We think that we deserve every little whim that ever enters our mind. And we have a loving God who's saying, man, you will not find, find flourishing in your own desires. You will find it in saying yes to what I have for you and no to what will harm you. Number four, look at verse number 18. Then the Lord God said, it 
is not good. Everything up to this point had been good or very good. Until this moment in the story, God said it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And I understand that primarily this text is referring to the marriage covenant, but it is certainly broader than just that. And what it is, is it's the reminder that our souls flourish in relationships. We are created to flourish, to thrive through God-centered relationships with one another. And we have been through 12 months of social distancing. And there's there's two kinds of people. There's some people who've enjoyed that, right? Some of you have seen the meme that said, hey, when all this is over, I still want some of you to social distance from me, right? There are some people who are like, man, I love that we're not shaking hands. I don't want to touch you. And you got somebody like me, man, I'm a, I'm a hugger. So like for me to wave at you is, is pretty much rude. We've been forced to, to have some distance, but I just want to declare this morning, you, you are not designed to go about this on your own. You will not experience flourishing on planet earth living in separation. And I know we've had to be creative to figure out ways to connect. And some of you have had to just initiate that on your own. I'm just telling you, we won't find flourishing being separate from everybody. And it's been an easy season to be separate because we've kind of seen the worst out of one another a little bit in the last 12 months. But even on our worst day, we do better together. And and I know that we've not been able to have community groups for the last 12 months. And I don't know when we're going to get to start them back up yet. When is everybody going to be vaccinated enough, feel comfortable enough, that whatever? I, I don't know. It might not be till the fall, but I, I want to say this morning... It has not changed. We still believe that the core and heart of our DNA is not in this room. It's in conversations, sharing our prayer needs with one another, talking about how God's at work in our life together, talking about what we heard from God's word this week together. We are better together. We still believe that circles are better than rows, and circles are a whole lot better than these separated rows And I know it's not time yet, but I just don't want to stop talking about it. We need each other. We cannot flourish alone. God created it that way on purpose. Before sin entered the world, before there was corruption, before there was discouragement or depression or disease or loneliness, before there was any of that, God created a world where we still needed one another. And so we experience flourishing in our souls. We take care of our souls. Through rest, trusting God, through responsibility, worshiping him through our work, through restraint, the pursuit of holiness, and through relationships, being connected together. But here's the problem. Ready for this? Here's the problem with Genesis chapter 2. There's a Genesis chapter 3. And if you don't know what happens in Genesis chapter 3, I've already mentioned it a couple times. It's when we rebelled against God. The one thing he said, don't do this. We were like, you aren't the boss of me. We sinned against God and all of this beautiful flourishing that's described in Genesis 2 became broken. We fell from that natural bent towards flourishing. And ultimately, what became broken in Genesis chapter 3 was not our circumstances or our surroundings. It was our souls. 
Yes, our, our, our circumstances became more difficult and we were removed from the garden. Our surroundings changed. But ultimately what broke is the flourishing of our souls. And so all these good things that God designed for us became corrupted. And now when it, when it comes to this idea of rest, we, we tend to exist in, in one of two extremes or maybe bouncing back and forth between one of two extremes where the idea of resting is not about being present and enjoying the trees. It's actually about escapism. Our idea of resting is vegging out and pretending like we're somewhere anywhere other than here and we live any life other than our own life. And, and for some of us, rest is now actually a, a season of substance abuse or filling our minds with harmful things. And it's, it's actually about being disconnected, the opposite of being present. Or the other extreme, and that is in, instead of this total vegging out, resting for us is, oh, I'm off work, so now i got to make sure I'm going 90 to nothing to enjoy everything that life possibly has to offer because I'm not a good parent if my kid doesn't do everything that everybody else's kid does. And rest is really just I can't wait to get off work so I can work harder because i got to keep up with everybody. And this comparison thing has corrupted our concept of rest. When it comes to responsibility, there's two, two extremes. On, on this side, we have this obsessive, toxic performanceism. This, this obsessive drivenness. This obsessive, compulsory ambition that's typically celebrated by the culture. They're so ambitious, that's great. They don't know their kids' names, but man, they're good at work. We celebrate this this compulsory drive to climb the ladder. And then we've got the other extreme where we see work as punishment. We show up at our works, our jobs full of resentment, convinced that we are entitled to better pay or better hours or a better title or a better position or entitled to better. And we look at that driven guy and we're like, well, good for him. I'm mailing it in. When do I get to go home? And then when it comes to restraint, we sure do see two opposite extremes. And one is, the book of Romans actually talks about a time where the godless cast off restraint. Nobody's the boss of me. We see this rampantly in the modern sexual revolution in our culture where there's just brazen sin against moral standing of God. There's no restraint. But the other side of that is we see legalistic religious shame ruling the hearts of so many followers of Jesus. People who are crushed by their own failures and so to feel better they look for failures in everybody else and they call them out and they point it out and they they put rules on them that God never put on them and they're really good at judging everybody except for themselves. And restraint has just become legalistic bondage. And then when it comes to relationships, we see the two extreme. One is independence, isolation, individuality, all of which start with I. I don't need anybody. I got this, this false sense of self-assurance. And then the other corrupted extreme, this toxic codependence. This identity crisis that says, I can only be okay if you're okay with me. I find my value in your approval. I only feel good about me if I think you feel good about me. 
And if we ended the talk there, but almost seemed like the hope for flourishing has been so corrupted and, and so broken that there's no good news today. Right smack dab in the middle of Genesis chapter 3, the first curse wasn't to us. It was to the tempter. And what he's told is that there's one coming. There's, a, there's an offspring coming down the line who will crush the head of the deceiver. And in that crushing, he will be bruised. And what we see right smack dab in the middle of the fall of humankind is the hope of another R. And that, of, that is of restoration. That we serve a God who so loves humankind that he is working to restore the flourishing that has been corrupted by our own sin. Working to make a way to restore to us enough faith in himself that we can breathe and rest. Enough focus on him and not self that we can show up and do our jobs without it being either burden or our identity. That we can walk in enough hope through the resurrection that we can say no to what will harm us and say yes to what gives us life. And that we will neither hide from people nor pretend to be something else to earn their favor. We can live in healthy community because he is restoring human flourishing through the work of the cross in the power of the resurrection. I believe for some of you, God wants you to turn your phone off. He doesn't want you to veg out or check out. He wants you to stop and just catch your breath for a minute. You have nothing to prove. He accepts you. He loves you. He's for you. And he's got you. You can take a nap. And then out of that rest, you know, the first day humankind existed. We were created on day six. On day seven, we took a day off. God rested, so did we. Adam then went to work out of his rest. The, the cycle that was started at the beginning of humankind still exists today. And that is, he wants us to catch our breath and then move from that spirit of rest into a job for his glory. Working as to the Lord. Doing so as we're stumbling forward in holiness. Together. In relationships.